Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team from baseball's top personalities the hall of famer one of the great tv broadcasters bob casas is here on a's cast live to the a's legendary players five-time major league baseball home run champ mark mcguire is with us here you never know what stories you're going to hear you think about her lunch and run with our shirts off <laughs> <laughs> you would say this is a's unfiltered with chris townsend You are listening to A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. What do we got for you today? Well, we've got a couple Guardians. We got a Ray and we got an Oriole. Stephen Kwan, Sandy Alomar Jr., Brett Phillips, and Brandon Hyde. How about the start for Stephen Kwan this year for the Guardians, the kid from Fremont? Well, we have a special for you. Stephen Kwan is with us here from the Cleveland Guardians. And we always like to bring on people who are hometown products from Fremont. Uh, You've been setting the baseball world on fire really ever since the Pac-12, but now really in Major League Baseball. It is an honor to lead the show with you. And we always like bringing Bay Area kids back who have been doing so well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you having me. Now, you used to actually show up here for field trips back in the day when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, get a free day off of school, go play some uh, – or watch some baseball, eat some popcorn. It was always a good time. So, for you, you start out this season. You're not striking out, which is wonderful to see. We'll get into that. But how about that where we are in baseball where all you got to do is make contact and people love you for it. Yeah, no, it's not bad. <laughs> I'm not the guy who can hit home runs, so just making contact is all my game. So to be uh, rewarded for it is always pretty cool. And to start the season out the way you did, how was the national attention? Yeah, it was cool. It was a little overwhelming. Um, just trying to get my feet wet, just trying to be successful in baseball, and then all that kind of media attention coming. It was it was definitely overwhelming, but I had some good uh, some good teammates, some good mentors just kind of helped me through it, and it's been working out so far. Yeah, a lot of us don't know what that's like when all of a sudden, because I actually did a report on you during the games I do during our broadcast. I do these hits about everything going on in baseball, and obviously you being local, we talk about, hey, this guy doesn't strike out. He makes time. Mm-hmm. So, when the baseball world is starting to talk to you, yes, you could talk to people, but still you got to handle it. Yeah. no. What no. did you do? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's nice online kind of seeing, like, people praising you, but I knew that's not, like, a sustainable thing. So I tried to – I deleted my Twitter, uh, just try to stay off of social media for that, um, and just trying to, like, talk to the people back home, just stay grounded in that area because there's just so many, like – so many signals where it's like, oh, you're, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing great. And it's like, okay, like, that's cool, but I don't want to feed into that because that's not, that's not going to be me every day. 
just want to stay consistent. That's interesting. You deleted your Twitter account. I just deleted the app. I still have my Twitter account, but okay, I just deleted yeah. the app just so it's less accessible. You just want it out. Yeah, yeah. Just I don't the want to noise see it. out. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the account always lives there. But yeah, yeah I get you. Mm-hmm. That that is interesting. Yeah, because it's probably been a while. I mean, Ramirez obviously is a beast, but it's probably been a while that there's been a a, a guy on Cleveland who's taken the baseball world by storm. Yeah, it's been pretty cool so far. Cleveland's obviously been super, super loving in that aspect, so I'm super grateful for that. Now we're so used to, obviously, the Indians, the change to the Guardians. Uh, I was just telling you off, Mike, that last time I was in Cleveland, before COVID, Chief Wahoo was gone, still the Indians, but kind of deciding where are they going to go. They didn't know at the time. So as a player, and I'm sure as you travel around, People are having trouble because they still want to say Indians. What has it been like for you guys with this change? It's been pretty cool. It's been an honor to kind of be that first wave of Guardians to be uh, added to the baseball world. Um, and the kind of idea behind the Guardians is always really cool. The you know the statue is kind of the beginning of the uh, the city. So it's an honor to kind of have this new wave and just just trying to create a legacy out of it. Now, obviously, this road trip hasn't been great for you guys. There's been struggles. There's been struggles offensively. Where are you guys right now heading into this series? Yeah, I think uh, I think we've taken some really good strides. I think we face some really good pitching. I think it's always tough to give pitchers credit in some aspects as a hitter, but there have been a lot of pitchers that have been hitting their spots. Uh, we're chasing out of the zone a little bit, but I think we have a really good core. We have a really good idea of what we want to do with the play, and if we stick to our plan, I think we can do some damage. I know when you talk to pitchers, they hate guys who don't strike out, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. strike out. When you got these guys, everybody's looking at launch angle, trying to get the ball out of the ballpark. You can strike those guys out, and then at times you can walk them, not deal with them, put them on first. Mm-hmm. But a guy like you, they got to deal with you. Mm-hmm. And I know it, it goes back to like when Greg Maddox was talking about Tony Gwynn. Mm-hmm. Just how much do you pride yourself, the plate discipline, making contact, just not striking out, but making that good heart contact and not striking out. Yeah, no, I definitely pride myself on that. Um, I kind of had to change my game in that, you know, like 13 years old, everybody starts to grow, and I'm starting to stay the same. So I'm definitely seeing I'm not going to be a power guy growing up. So just kind of understanding what I do well, you know, working a count, putting the ball in play, uh, barreling a ball up in the gap, trying to leg it out for a second. Like, that's always been my game, and I can't be somebody I'm not. I can't kind of buy into those launch angle and power numbers. So just sticking with my game and trying to perfect it in every way I can is, I think, how I got here. And it's really weird as someone who's covered this game a long time, the fact that there's like a whole new appreciation for your type of player, which a couple of years ago, everybody just wanted to talk about hitting the ball at the ballpark and how far you hit it. And when you're on the mound, how hard you throw it. How proud are you? You're kind of bringing back the kind of the old school way of baseball. Why? Because it works. Yeah, no, it's been affirming for sure. Uh, like when I was in the minors too, I kind of see it like they're, the home runs are sexy, you know, the velo is sexy, and it's kind of like, well, I hope there's a spot for me in the big leagues. Um, and I think I'm really happy that I'm able to kind of show that there's still a spot for guys like me in baseball. Well, there's always going to be a question, too, because, you know, when you started Oregon State, mm-hmm. well, you know, the question of going from the metal bat contact guy to the wood bat contact guy, you're proving, yeah, that still works. Yeah, just barrels play everywhere, you know, like on a metal bat or a wood bat. As long as you can get the bat on the ball and barrel it up, it'll, it'll be something good. So what has big league life been like since you've come up? You've had time. You know, you're getting a little bit in the spotlight. Just how has how the world changed for you? 
I don't think it's changed too much. I think I have another, a new appreciation for, like, the small things. Like, the food on these road trips have been unbelievable. <laughs> we just came from New York, and yeah. everybody's talking about the spreads over there, and somehow it, like, lived up to that glory. Like, it's it's been pretty cool. The travel's been awesome. The guys have been amazing. It's been it's been real cool so far. Yeah, speaking of New York, it got, it got ugly at Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. obviously, with you, and then it got ugly and right. Just take us through that. What was that experience like? Yeah, I think for me, I had a kind of a dazed approach to all that because after I came off the wall, I was I was I was hurt pretty bad, so I wasn't able to hear kind of all the stuff they were saying to me. But luckily, I got great teammates like Miles and Merck kind of yeah. had my back, and they said something over to them. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. And the tempers flew high. It was a really close game, a really exciting game. So I understand that the Yankees fans, you know. They're, they're really passionate how they feel. But, yeah, one thing led to another, and it got a little crazy out there. Yeah, when, when Miles goes up on the – he's going up, and he's going up on the wall. I yeah. mean, and you can see the fans go, whoa. I yeah. mean, that to me, yes, negative for the game, doesn't look good. But I think inside your clubhouse, that doesn't that build something? Absolutely. And like I said, like, I was dazed. I didn't know what they were saying. And Miles sticking up for me, like, he didn't even know if I heard that. But the fact that he's trying to stick up for me and – let those guys know that what he said isn't acceptable. I mean, that means a lot to me, and I appreciate that. That's my brother, and I'm, I'm grateful for him. And then how weird was it that the way the game ended and the Yankee players came out to go, whoa, 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 this is getting out of control. Yeah. Um, I, you probably weren't You weren't even out there at the time, right? I was. I stayed in, you that, were? Yeah, I stayed in the game for that. What was that like? Again, it was just wild. Like, Merck, Merck's catching the beer bottles, getting caught yeah. in him, and we're trying to, like, get him out of there. The Yankees fans are coming flooding out there. And it was like a little mouse in the palace. Like, I looked up and I see these beer cans flying with a little beer trail behind it. I thought it was really cool, but uh, I'm glad it didn't escalate to anything else after that. No, yeah, that's something. And, and that's always tough, too, because right after the right after the heat of it, you got to get in get in front of the media. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, you wish there was that long cooling off period. Unfortunately, there's not. Yeah. Well, luckily, I just went straight to the, the training room because I was pretty banged up from that wall. So I got to dodge all that. Well, you got to get going. You got to do BP. Hey, thank you so much for the time. And you know that we're always rooting for the Bay Area guys to do well and uh, keep doing what you're doing. And we, we want to do this for a long time with you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. From one guardian to another, one of our favorites to always have on, Sandy Alomar Jr., the former All-Star. Sandy Alomar Jr. is going to join us here. As the last time we were able to talk to him – was down in Las Vegas right before oh, wow. COVID, if wow. you remember that. That was, uh, yes, just like a week before COVID, right? Yeah, like we were like all, we had two games where the Aviators play there in Las Vegas, and we were talking to you, and we'll get to that in a second, about your great career in Vegas. I know how it meant to you being a triple A with the Padres at the time. And then we all went back to spring training, and right after that, our world's completely changed. That was insane. Uh, we... We're going back to spring training, and uh, all of a sudden, it's like, who knows what, what was going on in Las Vegas, how much COVID was there before we came back. But the news came in in our spring training. We had a meeting, and uh, all of a sudden, there's no more baseball. We had to go home. Well, I think you were the last in-person non-A's guest that we had. Because after that, we went to spring training. It was a few A's, and boom, we were shut down. For almost in person for almost two years, you were the last guy we had talked to. That's that's pretty crazy right there, but uh, I'm honored. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I'm honored because we're but, sitting here talking about. I mean, obviously your great career, but then Vegas talking about how much Vegas meant to you back in the day when you were with the Padres and your family. Obviously, your family history with them, and and for you being back in Vegas was a big deal. Yeah, that was a turning point in my career and the minor leagues. Uh, 
I uh, started uh, becoming the player that everybody thought was going to be when I when I got when I signed as a free agent with uh, with the Padres. I was a 17, 18 year old kid and uh, struggled at the beginning, but then when I went to Double A uh, in uh, uh, Wichita, I started turning that corner, understanding you know that the the level of baseball we were playing at that, that level, and then. And 88, 89, when I went to Vegas, it was it was an amazing, uh, amazing time there. Great, great numbers, great uh, championship season in 88, and uh, 89 was my, my best year in the minor leagues. You know, the we're going to be honoring Ray Fossey throughout the year, and of course we're going to unveil his patch out here in left center, and he's uh, out at Heritage Park, his plaque. I remember when we were there in Cleveland, I went with Ray to do the interview. He always talked so highly of you, loved you. He loved catching, loved the game. It's so sad we lost our friend Ray Fossey, but I just think it's fitting that we waited for the Indians to be in town to honor Ray Fossey, truly one of the greats of our game, and my God, he's missed. Yes, he's uh, one of the persons that I always enjoy talking baseball to. I, I you know, when my father, my father played against Ray, he was with the A's and the Indians uh, early in the early 70s, and uh, Rowdy and myself, we used to love to watch uh, the, the Oakland A's when they come to Anaheim because they were the, the team to beat. And uh, but when I signed professional, uh, Ray always took time out of out of his time to talk to me and uh, to give me some good advices and stuff like that. But always, 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 uh, it's fun to come here to to Oakland and have him wait over there waiting till I come out. And the experience that I had talking to him was it was amazing. It was like I cherished that for life. Yeah, you know, and, and there is something about you catchers. There's this fraternity, <laughs> right, <laughs> about you catchers. That, you know, and we got Brad Osmus now on the staff. It's the longtime catchers. It's kind of like like almost how the quarterbacks are in the NFL. You guys are like that in baseball. That's correct. And we have that care for each other. And uh, we always like uh, – I'm one of the guys that I always observe all the other catchers, uh, how to do uh, the, the defensive mechanics differently than others and always curious about what is in their plan, what do they do, why, why, why you do it like that. And Ray always is, it was the same way. He always asked questions about that. And the evolution of catching has gone so, so differently now uh, with the one knee and different ways of receiving that, you know, it's very intriguing talking to other catchers in baseball and always ask questions. Do you like what they're doing now behind the plate defensively? Like you said, sometimes getting down on one knee because Ray hated it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 you have to adapt. In, and you have to explain to people what the reason of it is. It's a lot of times it's more like uh, uh, to give the catcher a break uh, of uh, the wear and tear of the uh, long season. But also, also it's, uh, it's a tricky way to uh, uh, not having a marker or a, uh, a reference of the lower part of the zone. Because when you have your knees up, the, the reference of the, uh, the lower part of the zone is from the knee down. But when the knee's not there, the umpire re- doesn't know what the lower part. If you receive it good, it seems like the ball was in the bottom part of the quadrant. So there's many things that, uh, they, that is, is uh, advantage, also disadvantage. Because when you're in one knee, you're really locking your hips in the ground in one way. If you don't know how to use your, your heels to move to the lateral to block balls, then it becomes difficult. It might become difficult, too, to throw guys out to in, uh, when they go to steal because it might be a little bit different. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Uh, I think you have more mobility in the conventional stand, uh, hip-wise, and uh, more balance. But for other people that have limitations in their hips and ankles, one knee would be probably the best way to go. I never thought about that. So essentially, traditionally, we know how catchers set up. 
You now take your knees away. Let's say your right leg straight and you're down on one left knee. For an umpire, you've taken away the two knees that help him call the strike zone. Yeah, so, I never thought about that. So if you call outside to a righty, normally the the the, the track main stands that you have, track we call it we call it uh, uh, the track stands because when you go in the track stands, you go in this direction. So if you if you call outside to a righty, so you 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 lift your right knee up and the left knee should be down. That way, this area right here is where the umpire doesn't have the reference. But from this leg in, even though you have this leg in the ball side. From this leg in, it might be a strike, because he thinks sometimes they think that that from that knee in is in a strike zone. So if you call inside to a righty or away from a lefty, the left knee should be up. From that marker in, should be a strike. And then uh, the bottom of the zone, depending where the umpire's head is, if he's in the right side, he's gonna the reference of the lower of the zone is gonna be you receiving. That's that's I, I I never thought of it that way, but now it makes total sense. By the way, we're looking at Ramirez. Uh, you've played with some of the great players in Indians history. You're one of the great players in Indians history, and you, some of the teams you were on were just so stacked. But talk about how special this guy is because it's just, you know, looking at the highlights, it's like every night watching quick quick pitch on MLB Network, he's doing something. Yeah, he's, he's a total package. He's a guy that he grinds. He loves to be uh, in the center of the, of the action. Not saying he, don't, he, he doesn't like attention at all. He's not that kid that seeks for attention, but – he likes to be in the pressure situations, and, uh, and the best part is that he wants to stay in Cleveland. He wanted to be a part of uh, the Cleveland Guardian for the for the for the remaining of his career. That's the best part. Uh, I feel like he sacrificed a little bit contract-wise, but if he, if he enjoys it there, you know, and, and love the, the the fan base and his family is comfortable there, sometimes you have to sacrifice that. You know, you guys and you particularly were part of that blueprint that John Hart put together is he got the young guys like you and Bayerga and those guys, and then you started winning. Boom, you open up the new ballpark. Then you start bringing in, because you already had Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey and yourself and all these guys. And then here comes your brother and Eddie Murray and all these guys. Yeah. Just what was that time? You, Jacobs Field, you guys had the, the sellout streak. You had that record going. That time in Cleveland, I don't know if you ever get it back. That was such a special time. Super special times, and uh, that's what happens when you get and you sign players and risky uh, to below market value. In the long run, the, the players were uh, playing below market value, but you have superstar player below market value, and you're able to extend your uh, winning season year after year because you got Manny Ramirez, Vero Market, Gene Tomey. But then when the, when the, when the train hit the – the end of the tracks, then those guys, <laughs> those guys realize, hey, wait a minute, I need to get paid. Yeah. So it, it became a little different, but uh, they they uh, wanted to play for the organization. They felt like we all felt like, uh, like for example, when I got traded from San Diego, I felt like a, a lot of responsibility to be part of a, a winning organization. And we we talked to other players and they said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay here. I wanna I wanna be part. Of, I have an opportunity to play major league baseball. These people gave it to me. Whatever they feel like is fair for, for me or I feel like it's fair, I'm going to just stay here. I'll tell you what, I mean, you, you got to be pretty happy with, you know, your time in Cleveland here. You know, guys change, guys leave, but you guys, kind of like the A's, still stay competitive. Yes, they, they, they do a fantastic job uh, evaluating talent and uh, um, how, to f how to figure out how to maintain yourself uh, uh, efficient, efficient baseball. And uh, we, 
one thing they, they, the Indians or the Guardians now we, we do is like they, they focus a lot on pitching. Pitching is going to sustain you uh, through that course of a, or uh, what do you call it, a rebuilding uh, time. It, you can't call it rebuilding all the way because your pitching is so good. So yeah. you, it, it helps you to maintain at least to not to be go below 500. Right now we're in a tough stretch, and uh, every time we come to the West Coast, sometimes we get a, a butt kick. But uh, I have these guys are resilient. Um, I'm, I'm assuming they, 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 they know how to get out of it. Well, there's no question whether we're talking Indians or Guardians, you're always going to go down as one of the great ones as you were when it came to all-star catcher <laughs> and – and the teams that you played on and all the postseasons, it was so much fun to watch, and it's always great to have you on the program. Let's just hope that we're going to end this interview and we can do it again next year. Correct. Yeah. Correct. We'll not make it two years in a pandemic in between. Yeah, let's let's see uh, how this uh, evolved with the new uh, COVID situation. But uh, teams, uh, players are getting recuperated a lot faster, and hopefully we get over this. Well, it's always an honor to have you on. It really is. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you very much. Great to catch up with Sandy. Also great to catch up and finally meet because we've had him on the phone, but we've never had him on set at the Coliseum. This guy is phenomenal. You want to talk about a player who will have a future in broadcasting? That's Ray's outfielder, Brett Phillips. We have a new show we're going to unveil today that a lot of you don't know about. It's called the Brett Phillips Show here on A's Cast Live as we've had him on the field before, but because of COVID, we haven't been able to see him the last couple of years. Obviously, the career he has had, one of the most entertaining and best guys to interview in the game. And you say, wait a minute, you can't have a Rays players show. Well, this is my station. I can do whatever the hell I want. Welcome to your program. What is the first sponsor you want me to get? You? Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. Just tinkled a little bit in my pants. I apologize. But man, Chris, it's good to see you. Like you said, with the past couple years, we haven't been able to meet face to face, man. Always a pleasure. Uh, first sponsorship on the list would be yeah. H- Hidden Valley Ranch. I'm a big ranch kind of guy, All right. a, r- a ranch connoisseur. You know, so I don't eat much without ranch. So if we want to reach out to Hidden Valley, let's make that work. We'll get we'll get all the boys loaded up with some ranch. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to get you a deal down at Pebble Beach, get you a ton of ranch. Uh, what kind of car you want to drive? Oh, uh, You know, you can give me a bike, a little bird, scooter, whatever. Whatever, you know, they got accessible. Or a Lamborghini, you know, same, same, but different. Lamborghini, ranch, pebble, done. Every month, the Brett Phillips Show right here on A's Cast Live. We're cutting deals. I can see it happening. How are you? Oh man, if I was any better, I I, I think I would be you. All right, like I. How good is it? I this know. is my office. <laughs> this is your office. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who are listening, the weather out here in Oakland is beautiful. Probably what 65 and sunny. Got my baseball's fun shirt, my Bruce Bolt batting gloves on, and I'm just excited, man. I'm blessed to be out here. Yeah, I think about it, and I know I just asked you, but we'll do it on the air too. You know. Anybody who plays 81 games in a dome, (laughs) when you can be in California, you don't have the humidity, you don't have the heat, you're outside in the sun, it's got to be a good treat, and you guys really got to probably enjoy coming out west. Yeah, we get the best of both worlds, especially when we come out here to California. You know, I'm a Florida boy, born and raised, but when I come out here and experience the California weather like you talk about, um, it gives you a new perspective on just nice weather, so... Definitely, um, you know, it's it's good to get some vitamin D 
over at the Trop, you get the best of both worlds with being it's 72 degrees, right, in air conditioning, but you don't get the sun. Yeah. And so, uh, like, when we go on the road, you got to take it all in. Like you said, it's just beautiful. The last time we had you on, Cody, what was when, when was that? We had him on the phone from the Trop. I think it was uh, last year, actually. And, yep. and we made promos about you growing up next to Mandy oh, Ru- yeah. Randy Macho Man Savage. And when I was a kid growing up, like he was, he and Hulk Hogan were star. They were bigger. iconic, right? They were when when we were kids. Hulk Hogan was the highest paid guy. He was bigger than any baseball player because it was after Rocky Three when he when he was Thunder Lips. Yeah. And you think of Randy Macho Man Savage. You think of Ric Flair. These guys were making more money than any baseball players or football players. And you're a kid living next to this guy. <laughs> And you really, you didn't really realize yeah, how no, big he was. No, not at all. I didn't grow up watching wrestling. You know, I didn't realize how much of an icon Randy was until he passed away, unfortunately. But as a kid, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, um, playing basketball with this guy who's got the raspiest voice ever, Matt, he go, Maverick, let's play some basketball. The and macho uh, man, Randy Savage, yeah. Yeah, rise the cream to the crop. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There he is right there. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, you know, it just RIP to, to Mr. Pofo. What a what a great human being he was. I washed his wife's Chrysler 300 every Wednesday for $40, which was nice supplemental income. Uh, Lynn, his, his wife still lives next door. She's great, great friends with the family. But like I said, I didn't, I didn't watch wrestling, so I didn't know Randy was this just – big icon you know that you know in the wrestling world that everyone looked up to and uh, now getting to hear stories from people like you who grew up watching him and um, Hulk Hogan it's just it's really cool to to know that I had someone like that living next door that I got to play basketball with yeah their old like Wrestlemania's used to have like Super Bowl numbers it was insane (laughs) how big the ratings were and then pay-per-view and they made a lot of money, so that that's always uh, a great story to bring up the macho man, Randy Savage. And we were talking to Paul Blackburn yesterday about this, and and then we start thinking about it, like all the guys who grew up in the Bay Area who actually played for the A's and throwing the Giants too, but thinking about a smaller community where you grew up, and you, I mean, for God's sake, you're – for the Rays, for you, the yeah. Devil Rays. You grew up yep. a little kid, the Devil Rays. Yeah, and, you know, 1998, when the Devil Rays became an expansion team, my grandma took my sister and I out to the first ever Rays Fan Fest where I got to run the bases. You know, I grew up root, rooting for the Devil Rays, and that was my team. You know, I, I grew up 20 minutes from there. And now to be able to say that I play Major League Baseball in my hometown for the team I grew up rooting for just – super special what an honor and a blessing um you know a few weeks ago when it was sunday and kids got to run the bases yeah and my sister and my family were out there and i was saying that's awesome. I told my sister hey let's go run the bases like yeah. we did when we were i was four and she was nine and we were out there running the bases with the kids but again i i just there's this sense of uh joy that i feel and that's you know you you touched on in the beginning of the segment of you know, just being happy all the time and bringing good energy. It's like, how can I not, you know, the, the, where I'm at in my life, it's just, I want to always, you know, I've been so blessed. I want to bless others. And through that, it's just giving good energy, loving and respecting. 
and letting the rest play out, you know. I, I know we're here to play baseball, and that's uh, something that, you know, when I go out there, play 100%, respect the game, respect my opponents, but in between, have fun. And speaking of your ball club, once again, you have a very good team. You guys are predicted to, you know, win your division by a lot of people and a chance, you know, playoffs and, and go to the World Series again. Not the start exactly you guys wanted, still pretty good, but uh, how's it going so far for the Rays? It's going great. We've got, for the most part, the same group of guys back from last year, obviously coming off of a season of winning 100 games, there's a lot of expectations, not only from our fan base and front office, but from ourselves. And if there's a group of guys who can handle that pressure, it's these guys in the Tampa Bay Rays clubhouse. I can't speak highly enough about character. Just the, you know, everyone sees the talent and how good you, how good we are. But what it boils down to is, you know, everyone has kind of set their ego aside and if playing together and it shows on a, on a nightly basis how guys pick each other up it, over a course of 162. It's it, it's really good when you have a, a group of guys who enjoy being around each other and pick each other up. How much does buy-in, and I mean buy-in shifts, four or five-man outfielders, getting pinch hit for, being in situations you know that you may not like, but it's all about the data – Everything's in the data. The decisions are in the data. How much is buy-in to Kevin Cash in the front office key for you players? Yes, that's a great question, 100%. You know, if we're in 20, let's just say we're in 2009, and this is something that was introduced for the first time, there'd be a lot of speculation. There'd be a lot of uh, questions or concerns. But if you look at what the Rays front office has been able to do over the last five years, it shows that it works. And I always tell people, when the rest of the league is playing checkers, the Rays are playing chess. And uh, it, it shows the guys they acquire through trades. It shows how, how well they're, man they're able to manage, uh, you know, a guy's talent and be able to – you look at our farm system and you see how they're able to get guys better and better each year. You have to buy in because it, it's worked. It's proven to work. So who, who am I to disagree with what they've got going on after they've shown – the data they've they've shown that it works and that's a fact is there ever a point now now that you've lived through yeah. all this where you just go what in the hell are we doing do you ever never. find yourself never, never. Yeah. i've not once <laughs> um i know it's crazy but not once have you know and i have chris like i've been pinch pitch pinch hit for um in weird situations that other people have asked me like what what is that? Or like my mind is just like, I trust Kevin Cash. And I've let them know this when they left me off the playoff roster last year. Like, listen, I'm not trying to be the nicest guy in the room, but I believe in you guys so much that if it means leaving me off the playoff roster in a bigger, you know, picture to win the World Series, like let's freaking go. Like I 100% trust you. And that goes back to just the who they are as people but the success they've shown, right? Like you don't buy into something if there's nothing to show for, but there's everything to show for. Going to the playoffs the last three years in a row, going to the World Series. Like I know we haven't won a World Series, but if you if you take yourself out from like just looking from the outside in, like they're doing something that other teams aren't. I don't know what it is, but yeah, that's something I would buy into for sure, and that's where I'm at. You know, they always say money doesn't grow on trees, and it makes me think, 
do big, tall, right-handed guys that throw over 100 or 100, do they grow on trees in your guys' farm system? Where do you get all these guys, and you just keep replenishing them? You know, yes, to your point, we have a lot of guys with tremendous talent, God-given talent with guys throwing 100. But if you look at our, our pitching staff and the guys that we've acquired, you will find that most guys came through other organizations who weren't doing well, right? Like, okay, a lot of guys have recreated themselves here. They have taken a fallen career or a career that's on the back end and have rejuvenated it or relit that fire. And I'm not going to give all the secrets, but the best way I can explain it to you is that the last thing the Rays care about the, the, I should say this. The only thing the Rays care about is winning. And everything that has nothing to do with winning just it doesn't matter. Which, uh, to my point, allows you to be yourself. Allows you to be confident in knowing, like, hey, you were, you have something that we want. Just, just be that every single day. Be that. And so, um, again, it's just it's a testament to the, the leadership. It starts at the top. The culture they've created and you have guys get traded over here, there's no reason that most of them have success or, you know, are better than what they were in the past. That's unbelievable. <laughs> and I can't imagine you anywhere else. I, I really <laughs> hope you end your career because how much uh, you love the area. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's home for you and your family, uh, but how much you believe in the organization. Like, I can't imagine, like, I'll just throw a team out there. You now go to New York. They make you shave. They make you act one like. You get to be you here. I can't imagine you somewhere else. Yeah, that's, you know, in different strokes for different folks, it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. But for me, I can only speak about the Tampa Bay Rays and what makes it great from my point of view. And a part of just showing up and being yourself and, you know, I dance and do funny things, they could care less about that because they know Brett Phillips is going to go out there and play 110% for him. He's going to respect the game, and that's all that matters because they know I'm trying to win, right? Like everything else with shaving your face and stuff that has nothing to do with winning but more so just the culture, like I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm just saying the Tampa Bay Rays don't care about that. And for me personally, I find confidence in knowing every day I show up, no one is judging me for nothing but just how how my performance and rightfully so right you're a major you're a major league baseball player you have to perform it's a billion dollar billion dollar industry there's a enough pressure as it is though to perform every single night so why are you going to add things like micromanaging or putting you know stuff on on people who you know it doesn't necessarily fit their i don't know it's uh again i'm just super thankful to be a part of an organization that could care less about anything but just winning. Okay, so I can't watch every single Rays game, <laughs> but I want to throw this out here. You made a play against us coming off the mound. <laughs> Is that the greatest play of your career? <laughs> you literally, StatCast has you as far as you had to go from the <laughs> – folks, remember he was pitching. You ran all the way from the mound, slid in, and the best part was you came up and then gave the outs to everybody. <laughs> Oh, man. That was the best. That was so fun, man. Again. Best play you ever made? One of them. It's got to be, right? It has to be. And I I get questions like, yo, you guys are losing 
nine to you know, by nine runs. Like, why? Why do you like? And no one would do try and catch that ball. It's like I can't downshift into third gear just because we're losing by nine runs, right? Like Brett Phillips is Brett Phillips. He's in sixth gear all the time. I'm trying to win, so for me to come off the mound and make that play, like that's just instinct. That's just who I am. But I will say, first of all, I was able to pick up very like more speed than I ever had before because I don't normally have like a uh, decline slope. Yeah. To, so the the mound gave me an advantage, and then with the slide, it reminded me of back in the day when I was a kid slipping, sliding down the you know down the slip and slide and then popping up because you got to have your head on a swivel someone's coming down the slip and slide right behind you right so if you see it I pop up give the outs like I'm in the outfield yeah tip my cap crowd was loving it <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen that is the first Brett Phillips show brought to you by Hidden Valley Ranch Lamborghini and Pebble Beach California I love it I love so it. We can do this every month. Oh, man, hit me up. <laughs> I mean, how good is that? If you get a Lamborghini de- sponsorship <laughs> from this, yeah, I'll call in from Tampa. We'll talk once a month. Get you a Lamborghini <laughs> and all the ranch you All can the eat. ranch in that Lamborghini. You got Hey, thank you so much. Pleasure, man. Awesome, man. Yeah. And it's great to finally get to meet you face-to-face uh, yes. face and have you here because, uh, to me, what's the expression we say? Sounds like a what? Sounds like an A already. You sound like an A already. <laughs> you could easily, you could just get into a time machine, come here, and fit right in. Um, hey, I'm looking forward to the next time we talk. You wouldn't like the pricing here versus what you got there in Florida, <laughs> but if we could get past that, right. you'd fit in perfectly I'm here. sure I could. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thank you. I could talk to that guy every single day. He's a lot of fun. And when the Orioles were in town, another guy from Northern California, Orioles manager Brandon Hyde. It was great to have him on the program. Brandon Hyde joined us, the manager of the Baltimore Orioles, as we get you ready for the athletics and the Orioles. And it's funny, we've been talking so much about reunions and people coming back home. And we just had Nick Allen, who I grew up with his family, as he made his debut at second base. And and, and I think about you coming back home. Always a big deal. Uh, How is it to be back? I love coming back to Northern California. Uh, I wish I could come back more often. But, yeah, to be able to see your family and your friends, uh, you know, it's, it's always been special. Uh, my first time came back was in 10 with the Marlins and then gotten to come back every year. And it's, it's, uh, it's great to see the people you grew up with and, and my family here in the stands. Yeah, the pride of Santa Rosa, we were talking about earlier, God, you even played for the Chico Heat back in the day. <laughs> I did for a few weeks. <laughs> sure did. That was a short-lived uh, – that was a lot of fun, though. Chico's a good town. Yeah, no doubt about it. So for when you come back, and knowing that you guys don't come out west very often, what's that? We always, we always, what's the guest list like for you? All the family wants to be, come and see and experience. Obviously, we have tickets available. Yeah. So what's that like? You know, it's it it's gone down a little bit over the years. I think <laughs> my first few years uh, in, in Miami, and then my uh, those Cubs years when we were good and yeah. playing the Giants in the playoffs and those type of things. Uh, it got it could get a little hectic at times, but you know you want your family and friends to experience everything you're experiencing, and you want them to be around, and and uh, it was you know it's been fun. It's a, it's nothing like looking up and seeing people you know in the stands and waiting for you after the game and going to dinner with them, etc. It's uh it's really a lot of fun. And it's I mean you're a big league manager now. I mean that's the thing. It's like being on the staff's great. No doubt, being at this level, great. But being a big league manager, well, there's more responsibility that comes along with it. But 
it's still it's still the game and, and um you know i love it i love doing do, i love what i'm doing and and uh i just want you know people that have supported me throughout the years to to uh, feel appreciated as well you know the a's under mark kotze i mean we had no clue right we're at spring training guys are leaving guys are getting traded morale wasn't good i mean we were right there when Sean and I got traded, and he's crying in the clubhouse, and everybody's out. So we had no idea. I mean, it's been a very good start, obviously, leading and run scored, tied for first place, a lot better than we thought. But you know, it's it's a pivot year, it's a transition year, and Mark Kotze, what he has done so far is everybody in the clubhouse feels like they mean something to this. We're trying to build something. You're doing the same thing. What's the message like? for you with your players in that clubhouse trying to grow this thing in 2022 well yeah i mean this is now year four of a really a a a redo in the organization and so it's been extremely challenging um you know we're we're taking a chance on a lot of players we're looking at a lot if you look at our bullpen or our our infield right now it's majority of guys that have been designated from other for waivers on from other teams um, we're looking for like diamond in the rough type players while our organization is getting stronger. Um, you know, we have the number one ranked farm system. We have guys getting close that are, that are hopefully potential impact type players. So you just try to keep the, the, like Mark's doing here, try to keep the clubhouse as positive as possible. You surround yourself with a really good coaching staff that's going to be consistent every single day. And know that there's going to be tough nights. Uh, we play in a really tough division as well. Yes, yes you do. And, and so <laughs> you know, we're playing with four World Series contenders with a team that's, you know, it's that that has is talented, but not to that level of success, obviously yet. So yeah, just trying to keep the morale up, trying to make it fun as much as you can, uh, but just try to stay consistent as a coaching staff and not be, not get too up or too down. And there's so much pride in Baltimore and the old Oriole way and having been to Baltimore and you look out and you got the Brooks Robinson statue with the gold glove and everything. I mean, the, the Orioles is one of the great organizations in, in our game's history. How much is there like a, a standard that you want to live up to? No, there, there is. And it, that's why it's been tough because you, you want, you want to give the fans something to cheer for and you want to give the fans something to look positive. I think this year we're going to start bringing some guys to the big leagues that people are going to see, that you know we're gonna hey these guys could be pretty good soon and that's kind of the message to our fans right now from our front office is is just kind of hang in there with us a little bit right now while we go through this I mean we went through when we first got here you know we had was a low rated farm system no international department you know no analytic department I mean it, it was used to kind of a start over and it's not easy obviously in the division we're in as well as in, in the big leagues and, and um, we're inching closer it's just not, it's not equaling wins and losses even though we're playing almost every single game is tight right now that we're playing uh but it it will be soon you know when i think about trey mancini he came over here to do this program and it was before cancer and to know what he went through survived and the story just what an inspiration he is to everybody in this game what is it like managing him and what is it like as him as your leader as your franchise you know the, the fun part about this job, honestly, is that you you get to meet really cool people and you get to be surrounded by guys that are incredibly special. And Trey Mancini is on top of the list of uh, you know somebody that I mean, he went stage three cancer and uh, how he dealt with that, how he handled that. It was inspirational to to all of us. Um, you just wanted to help him in some way. Uh, you know, he he probably helped us more than we helped him. 
so just see him back on the field this last year and, and this year, um, knowing what he went through is uh, it's an incredible story, and, and he is uh, an off-the-charts type of person. You know, we have seen teams in the past when we first, you know, and you can go back into the 90s, when we first started seeing teams really go all young, all, uh, and it just doesn't work. There still has to be the adults in the room, mm -hmm. and that's when I think about, Trey, you still have to have some guys that give you that credibility and that are really those mentors that have to teach these kids that, You've got baseball in between the lines, but now that you're in the big leagues, there's a whole world off the field, too, that these, guy, these guys got to learn. And a guy like Trey, and we have some guys here, they're invaluable, right? Oh, my. It, 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 undervalued. So That's so undervalued in our sport right now is veteran leadership uh, just because you can't put a number on it and what, how much that means to a club. People ask us, me all the time right now about our pitching and we're pitching way better than we have in the past your and bullpen's been good really good and it's almost yeah. all waiver claims um it's all guys that have good stuff that have been let go by other teams besides batista and bauman who pitched last night majority of these guys have been you know we claimed off waivers and um i i look at robinson chirinos and the guy putting the fingers down the guy's helped the guy yeah. helping him through and he's he has been the single biggest factor in our pitching in our pitching um development just by having the adult in the room the guy that's been on a big stage, the guy that knows how to navigate through an order, the guy that can lead. And that is so, you know, it's so nice as a, as a coach, as a manager, to, to be able to rely on that because it's another coach on the field. And we haven't had that, honestly, in a few years. And so it's now that Trey's kind of becoming that veteran type and, and having Robbie back there has really helped our pitching staff. And Rushman, the former number one pick, mm -hmm. A lot of talk about him. I'm sure everybody asks. You got to because you know he's a big part of your guys' future. How far away? When, when, when do you think we'll see him on an everyday basis? Well, he's still rehabbing in, in Sarasota right now. Uh, he's still got a, a couple weeks left of rehabbing, and then he's going to need a, a spring training full of at-bats. And, um, you know, we haven't – he hasn't left there yet. Um, I think you'll see him hopefully soon. He's a very, very talented kid. And switch hitting, power. He's going to be a plus catcher behind the plate defensively. He's got the whole package, and so we're looking for the day forward to the day. I just hope he doesn't put too much pressure on himself to, to, to live up to the, the hype because Baltimore is looking for people right now, you know, players right now, to, to wrap their arms around, and, and, and Rutch is going to be one of those guys. Um, but, yeah, really, really talented, and I can't wait to get him. Well, we always want to take care of Northern California guys yeah. when they come into town. Thank you so much. I know you, you're busy and, right. and you don't have a lot of time, but thank you for stopping by. We truly appreciate it, and good luck to you the rest of the way. I love coming home. Thanks for having me on. We'd like to thank Stephen Kwan, Sandy Alomar Jr., Brett Phillips, and Brandon Hyde for stopping by A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. 
So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 